These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I want you to take a moment. Let that scripture sink in. going to take a moment to release our kids wherever they may be they may already have been released <laughs> i think that they have been nick is our nick tim has already run away with them um i don't know why i called him nick is that super weird it's like i had him work for them for nine months anyway um yeah they're going to be out they're going to be exploring god's creation this morning just so you know what they're doing and you can ask them about it if they're your kids or if they're not your kids ask them about it they're learning about god's love which is a huge part of this message this morning, God's love for us, um, and then our love for God. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So I want to ask you a question. Um, I don't have my clicker today, Scott. I just left it somewhere. So Eli's going to be my clicker. Um, what is it like to fall in love? Turn to somebody and you ask them. Ask your neighbor. Say, look, look at your neighbor and say, Neighbor, what is it like to fall in love? Okay, just a moment. Just keep going a little bit. Um, but the the question for you is you question what is it? This is going to be a little bit for me this morning. That's okay. Um, the next question is, what did you what what if you if you've never fallen in love? That's okay. Um, what do you think falling in love will feel like? And if you have fallen in love, what about falling in love was different than what you thought it was going to be like? But this one, I'm only going to give you one minute. So if you have not fallen in love, what do you think it's going to be like? If you have, how is it different than what you thought? All right. Coming back together. I should do that. Yesterday at the wedding, the, the pastor at the wedding during the rehearsal used clap once if you can hear me. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. We can clap once if you can hear me? Yeah, there you go. You guys got it. He actually used that, but they were like 20, 20-year-olds, 20 so it was okay. It actually worked really well. There was, if you didn't see the picture, go on our Instagram. Um, we posted a picture of a wedding that was done here yesterday. If you have people in your life who want to get married somewhere beautiful, oh, my gosh. This place is gorgeous when you get rid of all the kind of stuff that we need to do worship. Um, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful ceremony. Um, and so we're going to be 
praying for that couple, even though they're not a part of our community. We're going to pray for them because it's important. 24, 26 years old, a lot can happen. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. So um, we're talking about falling in love. We're talking about marriage, which we talked about last week a little bit um, in what was the most awkward sermon of the year for our youth. Um, and we're talking about what love really is, is about. Because this passage that you saw the beautiful video of from Ephesians, it says, look, you guys are great. You guys have it all figured out. You're doing everything that I want you to do. But you don't love me anymore. And, if, and that's enough, says Jesus. That's enough for me to say this is not working for me. And the truth is, that shouldn't be news to us. And we're going to get to that. So I want to uh, do a couple verses this morning. Um, the first one is from, which one do I have first? Romans 5, 7, and 8. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone perhaps might be willing to die for a person who's doing especially good. And then it goes on to say, it's not up there, but because we were sinners and Christ died for us, that showed exceptional love. The next one, you all know. Go on. John 3.16. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that so whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's how God shows his love. He dies for us. He sends himself for us. And then the last one, we know how much God loves us. We put our trust in his love. Amen? That's a, that's a beautiful thing. We put our trust in his love. And God is love. And all who live in God, who, who love, li, li, I'm going to say that again. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. I want to say this. Not only is God love, Put up the next slide. Not only is God love, literally, God defines, God is defined in the Bible as the very substance of love. Not only is God love, God loves us. God loves us. And he wants better for us. That's what scripture is about. Scripture begins in Genesis, what the uh, the kids talked about this morning in their Christian formation class. They said, hey, uh, the, the, the earth began with God. The world, the universe began with God. And I have news for you. We were no great addition to God's existence. We are not God's gift to God. Except for that we are. That God actually loved us before he even created us. And so it was out of love, because God is love, that God created the world. And so not only does he love us, not only has he loved us forever, not only has he loved us before we even were going to exist, before our parents even conceived us, 
He actually loves us and continues to love us forever and wants better for us. And here's the the craziest part of all of it. If you haven't heard the central message of the gospel, it's this, that God loves you, number one, and two, God wants you to be a part of it. That God does not want your love to be one way. That God wants your love to be two ways. That God loves us, yes, much more than we could ever love God back, but that our response to God's love should be to love back. To live in a new kingdom with him. And you can be a part of it. From your shame. You can be free from condemnation. All things that we might associate with the church, right? Like, these are things that Christianity sometimes lifts up and does, but it's not what God wants. God says you can be free from your shame. You can be free from your condemnation. You can be free from your circumstances. You can be free from your anxiety. I got this. You can even be free from your mortality. You can even be free from death. But to be free from death, to be free from your condemnation, and to be free from your anxiety, you're going to have to love me. That's the only way this can work. And so God is love in a really, really amazing thing. How many of you have heard that message before that God is love? How many of you have heard the message that God loves you? Even if just in the media. It's not a new thing for most of us. If it's a new thing for you this morning, amen. Like, stand up. We'll, like, applaud you. (laughs) Yes, you finally heard it. This is so good. This is such good news. But most of us, this is what I just said was not news to you. You're going, yes, John, we're in church. We get it. We come here every week and you tell us that God loves us and sometimes God challenges us, but God loves us. But do you, does anyone remember, I'm not going to call on you, but just, do you remember when you first heard this? Like the first time. The first time that you heard it and you believed it. Okay, that's okay. That means that we got some work to do. We're going to remember. Do you have anybody in your life who has heard this for the first time and believed it? Does anybody know anybody who you can recall on an experience when they heard the message of the gospel for the first time and they went, I'm with it? Anybody? See, this is one of the problems with the church. One of the problems is that we have started to do this thing. And if you're uncomfortable this morning because we're not doing the thing that we normally do, then you're, you're naming it in yourself. You can be uncomfortable. That's okay. We change a lot here. So it's, I mean, if I did this in my home church, oh my gosh, I could, we, I'd get booed off or something. I don't know. They would just be uncomfortable the whole time. A lot of shifting. A lot of shifting. But the thing that churches sometimes fail to do is reestablish, to revisit that love as it was at the beginning. I talked to two ladies up front, both very wise. What is love? What is it like to fall in love? And they said different things. They said, one of them said, you know, at first, it's scary. 
because you're really surrendering a lot of yourself. And that's probably how people feel when they first encounter the gospel. When I, I grew up in church, and for the first 22 years of my life, I would have said, I'm a Christian. And I'm not saying, if you identify as a Christian, you're a Christian, that's fine. I'm not going to try and parse that out and cut hairs and say, oh, okay, well, I don't know if you, well, if you're not doing this thing or whatever, it's a faith, and I get it. If you identify as a Christian, that's fine. I would have identified as a Christian, but then at about 23 years old, which is young, and you're like, aren't you like 24 now? Yes, this was recently, um, but I'm not 24. At 23 years old, my wife and I read the New Testament together through an experience much like a Immerse. And for me, that was not rereading the New Testament. That was reading the New Testament for the first time. And, and you've heard this in my testimony video, and you've heard my testimony before. But ultimately, I fell in love with God through that experience. It was different than what I was doing before. So I can now look back and in my own heart say, I wasn't really a Christ follower because I wasn't in love with Christ yet. And so it's possible that you might find yourself this morning and go, man, maybe I haven't fallen in love with Christ yet if I don't remember feeling this way. Or another way to put this too is maybe it, it's happening for you very slowly and you're falling in love with Christ every single day and you might identify at the end of this and go, oh, oh, actually last week I loved Jesus less than this week and so I must be on the right trajectory. And so this isn't for you. But since we, and I kind of anticipated this, most of us don't really remember what it's like to fall in love with God. I want to ask you instead, do you have anybody in your life who's fallen in love with each other recently? Like two people, like recently, like newlyweds, recently engaged, anybody that you know in your family in the last 10 years? Anybody? Couple people? Oh my gosh, please. You guys don't know this? Okay, high school relationships, that counts. We'll go that far. People, you go to the next slide. People who fall in love are this. Fall in love are intolerable to be around. It's horrible. I have family like this. They've been in love for years, and they're still like this. You know what I'm talking about? They take PDA to a new level. You know what I mean? They're like sitting on each other's lap, and you're like, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> right? People who fall in love are intolerable. If you're a friend of a person who falls in love, I'm pretty young, so I have friends who have recently fallen in love. Um... It's horrible to be around them, even when they're not around their significant other for a period of time. Because you'll be like, all right, you know, opening day was two days ago or three days ago, and okay, like we're going to talk about, it. we're going to go to a Cubs game. And you go to a Cubs game, and you're sitting next to this person who just fell in love, and they're like, let me tell you about what Samantha just did last week. And you're like, Chris Bryant is batting. But they only talk about that person. And, you know, it's like weird ways of getting around it. You know, like they order nachos and then they're like, they're like, you know who loves nachos? Samantha's best friend's high school roommate. And it's like, 
roommates in high school? Like, did she go to a prep school? I, wait, no, never mind. Like, why are we talking about Samantha again? But that's what happens, is that people who fall in love are intolerable because it's all they want to talk about. It's the only person they want to spend their time with. They might be broke, and they're just spending all their money on this person. I have a couple things listed. One, they think they know everything about love. You've ever been married for like, I've only been married for like five years, but if you've been married for like 15 years and then like your child gets married or your friend, you know, somebody, and they're going to tell you about what love is like. No, 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 you don't get it, mom. I love her. Not like you and dad. I love her. Right? Number two. They think that they're the only ones authentically in love. If you felt what I felt. Number three, I already said this one, PDA. If you PDA with your significant other, that's okay. I I won't judge you. I'm judging you. I'm not going to judge you. They spend all their time together. You can't hang out with them like you once did. My friends used to tell me about this when I first met my wife. You're never around. What are you doing with all your time? All they can talk about is that person. And here's the thing. If you knew young Christians, if you you hang out with young Christians, they're kind of like this about Jesus. And it turns a lot of us off who've been in the church for a while. And it makes us a little unwelcoming to them, to be honest, as a congregation, as individuals. Because they show up on day one and they think that they're the only ones who have ever read the Bible. Jesus said, care for the poor. Like, yes, we know. But you're not doing it. They think that they know everything that there is to know about Scripture. They, they, they think that they're the only ones who actually have a relationship with Jesus. Right? I hope they don't PDA with Jesus. That's weird. But they spend all their time with Jesus. All that they can talk about is Jesus. The people at my job were so done with me when I first fell in love with Jesus because the workplace is supposed to be, you know, free from proselytizing. But I was like cube to cube. Like, have you read this book? It's all about how God loves you. We get obnoxious. But here's the thing. Just like You can go to the next slide. Just like it's intolerable when couples fall in love and it's a little bit intolerable when we fall in love, then you show up at a wedding like I did yesterday. And I wasn't, I didn't know anybody. I knew them, you know, they wanted to set up chairs so we had a conversation about it. But I didn't really know the couple. They were being married by a covenant pastor. I let him do the pastoral care and him do all the stuff. I didn't really know them. But yet I was almost moved to tears Because it is also beautiful. As intolerable as it is, when somebody gets to know Jesus, when people fall in love with each other, it's also beautiful. Because when somebody wants to sit on somebody's lap at Thanksgiving, you realize that they have no shame about how much they love another person. They have no shame about who they love. They're not scared anymore because love is scary to begin And so I want to ask the question, we've kind of alluded to this already, but that couple that got married yesterday or any couple that gets married in the future, is it going to be the same 20 years later? Is it? 
You hope so. But I'm seeing a lot of probably not. And so our relationship with Jesus too changes. It does change. And I think that if we let it change too much, we become like the people at Ephesus. If we forget the truths of Scripture, those Scripture verses that I rarely preach on because I feel like we've all heard it enough, the Romans 5, while, Christ, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 14, God is love. John 3.16, the most overpreached, for God so loved the world. If we forget those things, or if they just become normal to us, if, they be, don't, if they're not shocking to us anymore, if they're not new to us anymore, we get into a place where we wake up 20 years later, or 30 years later, or 40 years later, or some, for some of us, 80 years later, and we go, I fell in love with Jesus. And then something happened. And I don't know anymore. I'm just not sure. What are some of the things that you do or you see, you've seen? If you're not in love, that's okay. Hopefully you've met a person who's been in love. What are some of the things that we do for people who we've been in love with for a long time? Or, or, or we've been in love with for a short time? I have a list. But just think about that for a moment and give you 10 seconds. Some of the things that you literally do for the people or see others do for the people that they love. Okay, here's my list. This is not my personal list. Do not think you're getting a picture into my family. This is my childhood list. This is what my parents did. They do the dishes for one another because they love one another. They jump each other's cars when they're stuck on the side of the road. They buy each other stuff at holidays. They generally clean the house. Just four tangible things. I'm sure there are more, but those are the four everyday things. They did the dishes, they jumped the car, they bought each other stuff, and they cleaned up the house. I guess kind of cleaned the house and dishes. I didn't really think about that. It's the same thing. And I believe that they did it because they loved one another. But the truth is, this is a hard truth for many people, after a while, those things become habitual, and they cease to be about our love for another person. Hopefully they become habitual. Or maybe you're like Jess and you're just like, pick up your coat, right? It has not become habitual yet. But when those things become habitual, something very bad happens. They cease to be about the love that they were about in the first place. But the things themselves don't change. And I'm not going to say why most or why a relationship in your life might have ended, a long relationship, a relationship that began in love might have terminated. But I'm going to tell you that there are many people that I know that the reason that they got divorced or the reason that they got separated or whatever is exactly this. They did not hate one another. They just woke up one morning 
and realized that they were indifferent. They didn't hate one another, they became indifferent. They became distant. And then a lot of times, what leads from that is that they became unfaithful. But usually it starts with being indifferent. Because it's pretty hard to be unfaithful to a person who you're not completely indifferent to. First, their love was no longer evident to the outside world. They just always do the dishes. It's their job. Second, it became no longer evident to their family. Their kids didn't even notice it anymore. And then finally, and this is the real kicker, it became no longer evident to the object of their love. They ceased. They realized that the action had no tangible reason. It was just habit. You buy things from Ann Taylor Loft because that's where you're supposed to shop for Christmas, period. You don't think about the other person. You just, you're supposed to do it, and so you do it. And the truth is, the same can be, is often even more true with God. It begins as this overwhelming, crushing flood of grace. If you haven't grasped the grace that God has given you yet, if you have not grasped that an all-powerful, almighty being that extends to the ends of the universe, that created everything with a single word uttered, not even from his mouth because he created mouths, that he just uttered everything into existence, chose to have a relationship physically in a human form with you, if you have not grasped that yet to the extent that it is crushing and overwhelming and powerful and you cannot not talk about it with people, I hope that you get there. I hope that you do. Because I'm so grateful that my parents brought me up in a Christian home. I'm so grateful that I know the stories, that I know the Bible, that I know all this stuff. But it wasn't enough for me. I needed the authenticity, the real relationship that changed me from being a churchgoer to a fully committed in-relationship person with Jesus. But it starts that way. It starts as this overwhelming, crushing flood of emotion and grace. There's this little light that you are in the kingdom of darkness, and you know it. You can feel it in your heart. You walk around, and you're like, I'm not like other people, which is why you're intolerable. But you're like, I know something that they don't know because if they knew it, they wouldn't be behave like they do. They wouldn't act like they do. They wouldn't give like they do. They wouldn't um, sh use their time. They wouldn't, you know, spend all their time watching movies because they would just, they would just want to be serving people. They'd be cool. You just, I, I know I must be different. And over time, that light dims and it dims and it dims and it dims and you don't have to stop going to church for it to dim. You can still go to church. You can still sing the songs. You can even still read your Bible, although I think that if you read your Bible enough, it'll probably knock you back into it. You can serve the poor. All the things that the Ephesian church did. But if you're doing it because you're supposed to do it, 
if you're doing it because you've always done it, you've missed it. And Jesus is very, very clear. I want you to love me. And out of your love for me, and I talk about doing stuff a lot, so I don't want you to get confused. I think that doing stuff is important. (laughs) Serving, being the kingdom of God is important. That's part of being a Christian. But Jesus says, you can't have one without the other. Like Frank Sinatra says, love and marriage. You can't be married to me, be a church member, be doing all this stuff that marriage looks like and not love me. I mean, you can physically, but I'm uninterested. It's fake to me. And so this morning, I'm going to provide you with an opportunity, and then we're going to sing one more song. And this opportunity is to journal about it. Again, this is a prayer practice that's as old as time, basically. We've always been writing about our faith, this Christian people. And what you're going to write this morning, go to the last slide, Eli, is a letter. You've been given paper and pencil. Write it on your phone if you need to. You're going to write a letter. And here's the thing. The letter is not going to be from you to God. Because if you are not in love with God, God does not want your love letters. God knows your heart. God knows whether you're in love with him. And so in the same way that you know a person who you might be in a relationship with is no longer in love with you, you know, you know when a person says to you, I was a part of a relationship that ended this way, they said, I think you know this is coming. That's all they had to say. They didn't have to say anything else because it was already clear. God, If you're in that relationship with God, God doesn't want your love letters. God wants your love. And so instead, what I'm going to offer you the opportunity to do for the next 10 minutes while we listen to some beautiful music is to write a love letter from God to you. So here are your rules. You cannot stop writing. At this point, we lost the audio from the sermon. As you could hear, there was some technical difficulties because we were operating from a different space. But I'm going to give you the four rules now. Rule number one, as you've already heard, you cannot stop writing. It might feel silly, but if you keep writing, then over time, God can begin to speak to you even through your own writing. Number two, you have to write from the perspective of God looking at you. So even though it might feel a little strange to write from God's perspective a letter to you, that is the exercise. And we do it because we don't always need it to be about us talking to God. Sometimes it needs to be about us opening ourselves up for God to talk to us. Number three is be honest with yourself or about yourself. Uh, God knows as much about you as you do. In fact, God knows more about you than you do. And so it's easier to just be honest up front. Uh, Ultimately, you can't hide anything from God. That's kind of the nature of an omnipotent God. Believing in an omnipotent God is that there's nothing that we're hiding from God. Uh, So it's just kind of silly to try and hide anything. And number four, no matter what you write, you should not share it with other people. And that's important because uh, you are being incredibly vulnerable and honest. And as much as we want to be honest with our spouses and we want to be honest with uh, spiritual leaders in your life, like your pastor, maybe that's me, that's maybe that's somebody else, 
um, or a spiritual director. Actually, this is just for you and God. So, uh, you know, you're going to write these letters and then uh, you can pause the recording here. Uh, take some time, take 10 minutes to write this letter. We listened to two songs while we did it. We listened to the songs Brokenness Aside by All Sons and Daughters. And we also listened to See the Love by The Brilliance. So feel free to listen to those two songs. That's how long we uh, wrote for. It was about um, 10 minutes and roughly 13 seconds or so. Uh, so yeah, feel free to write that or 17 seconds. So feel free to write during those songs. And then uh, at the end, uh, you'll have that letter. This is where the sermon actually concluded in our service. So thank you for taking time to listen to this recording. We encourage you to do this practice to write the letter from God to you. And remember, don't share it with anybody. Be honest with yourself. Uh, write from the first person perspective, God to you. And don't stop writing for the entire time. It's amazing what can flow out of your pen or pencil, or, or, or laptop, if that's how you prefer to write this time. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next week.